The scripture reading this morning is Genesis 17, 15 through 21, 18, 10 through 14, and 21, 1 through 6. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Risen. Thank you guys for joining us this morning. It's always a privilege and an honor to be able to uh, bring the word of the Lord to you guys. Thank you, Kat, for reading for us this morning. I know it's not an ideal situation uh, that we're doing church in this way. Um, it's comfortable though, right? I know a lot of you guys are in your pajamas. I know half my kids are probably in not wearing any pants. Um, and it's comfortable, but it's not ideal. Right? We want to gather again where we can be next to each other, um, listening to um, Word of God and uh, singing songs next to, next to each other, fellowshipping, eating with one another. And so um, we look forward to that day. We have no idea when that's going to be. But we're going to trust that God has got us, that he knows what he's doing. And we want to uh, just be faithful to continue to meet together as, how we can virtually or what, whatever it may be. Um, and uh, just worship together in the ways that we can. So thank you guys for joining. So every week we have in our service what's called a call to worship or an invitation to worship. And this is where um, we introduce the service a bit. It kind of sets the tone. It's where we're getting our hearts and our minds ready for God to speak to us. And a lot of times, 
at least for this year, um, with all the trouble, the uncertainty, the unrest that's going on in this crazy 2020, um, we're going, we usually go with the theme of steadfastness and faithfulness of God, right? Um, and a lot of times it matches up with the sermon text. Um, and the story of Noah and Abraham and God's covenants and promises to them, it's all about his steadfastness, all about his faithfulness to his people. Well, today, that theme is no different because we're still going through uh, the story of Abraham in Genesis. Um, and today, we talk again about Abraham and Sarah, uh, this really old couple. They are promised an heir that will eventually produce the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Abraham and Sarah, they kind of trust God, but they are also pretty super skeptical and doubtful. Um, because their physical circumstances would tell them that it's impossible for them to bear children. And so here we are. Uh, we're learning to trust God in impossible circumstances. And I know uh, we sound like a broken record, but I personally don't get tired of hearing the gospel in this way of God's faithfulness to us, that He is always for us. I think we need to hear this more. Um, you know, if you're married uh, or you've been with your significant other for a long time, what is something that you don't get tired of? Uh, you don't get tired of hearing your wife or your husband, your boyfriend or girlfriend tell you that, you that they love you or that you love them. Lauren and I, we always say love you to each other. Uh, sometimes we're both working in separate rooms. We'll text each other, love you. And I'll never get sick of it. I love to be told that I'm loved by my wife and others that are close to me. It affirms our relationship it is, and assures me that they are for me. And so to hear God, our creator, our shepherd, promise good to us is of the greatest value. We need this every day. And so let's jump in. Three points. God's assurance, our doubts, and God's faithfulness. Our first point is God's assurance. In Genesis 15, that Rich preached a few weeks ago, uh, we are first told about this covenant that God made to Abraham. Right? God told Abraham, you see all the stars in the sky? From you, your offspring will be just as plentiful. And this promise was not empty. Remember, Rich was telling us about this ancient tradition where um, two parties of a covenant, they would cut these animals in half, and then the parties would walk through and down the line of animals. And this was to signify that whomever uh, does not follow through with their end of the covenant, they would be physically cut in half. And often what would happen in this context is that a greater king would essentially impose this sort of covenant, this treaty on a lesser king, so that this lesser king would have to follow through on his promises and his loyalty to the greater king. And obviously the lesser king was in no place to negotiate the terms. But the amazing thing is about this covenant with God and Abraham is that God does not tell Abraham to walk through the animals. God himself is the one that walks through them. And this is such an important point that Rich had made because the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, does not need to prove that he is good for his word. Right? He is the infinitely greater party in this covenant, he has all the leverage, he has all the power, Abraham, and we don't have any negotiating power. 
And yet, God is one that steps down. He is the one that walks through the animals. This confirms his commitment and his assurance to Abraham. God assumes all of the responsibility of this covenant. You know, when you want to buy a home, most of us aren't um, able to afford buying a house all cash, right? So a lot of times what we do is we have to borrow money from the bank in the form of a loan. And the lending bank combs through all of your financial assets, the history of your paychecks, and it checks your credit score to gauge um, how likely it is that you'll be able to make these monthly payments on this very expensive purchase. So there's a lot of uh, paperwork and signing of contracts to make sure that you are good for your money. You're not going to be killed if you don't follow through, but there are consequences. If you keep up with your monthly payments, all is well. You're able to enjoy living in this nice house. If you don't make your payments, there's all sorts of fees. Your credit score goes down and affects how future lenders are going to see you, how they're going to trust you. And if bad enough, the bank's going to seize your property. But here in the Abrahamic covenant, God makes a one-sided deal with Abraham. God signs all of the paperwork of this covenant and Abraham and his offspring receive all of the blessings. God is saying that if he, God, does not follow through on his own word, that the penalty is going to fall on him. He will be cut in half. This, this is pretty amazing. You know, in our modern time and culture, our um, promises and our words have become very weak. You know, politicians, leaders of all sorts of organizations, they're going to promise stuff to us all the time. They'll promise to fight against things that we hate, and they're going to promise to fight for things um, that we want. And sometimes they'll come through, but oftentimes they don't. We're left with broken promises and letdowns. Even our own promises and words don't hold much weight to people anymore, right? We fail each other all the time. Sometimes in the kitchen, I'll see a bunch of dishes piled up in the sink. And I'll tell Lauren, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll wash them later. Then two hours later, I see her washing the dishes and I sneak away and I quietly pretend that I don't feel bad. When it comes to church, Rich and I, we do our best to follow through with what we say. Uh, but we undoubtedly have failed and will fail you guys at times. And even amongst each other within our church community, I'm sure we've all promised uh, each other different things. We've committed to certain things and we didn't follow through with each other. And it's unfortunate, but it happens, right? We all struggle with our commitments and our promises. And there's always grace. We all learn to forgive each other. Um, as a church, we're going to get better and better at this. But the point is this. Because we are fallible and imperfect people, our words can often ring shallow. But not God's words. He will absolutely fulfill His promise and come through for us. Maybe just not in the time that we expect Him to. Remember in chapter 15, um, Abraham and Sarah, they weren't sure if God was going to come through with providing this offspring. And so Sarah uh, hooks Abraham up with uh, her servant, Hagar. 
they were being impatient. They didn't trust God in His timing. And so they took matters into their own hands. They, they tried to force the situation of an offspring. And Ishmael is born from Hagar. <coughs> Excuse me. And 13 years later, right? Now Abraham is 99 years old. Ishmael's a teenager here. God comes back to Abraham and he again reiterates and reassures Abraham of this covenant that multitude of nations will come from him. But God says it's not going to come through Ishmael or Hagar. It's going to come from your wife, Sarah. Verse 15 says this, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Uh, both these names basically mean princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then Abraham, he replies and he says, but there's Ishmael, right? Why not just use Ishmael? He's my son already. Fulfill the covenant through him. Verse 18 says this, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Remember, Sarah, she's elderly. She's 90 years old here. She's seemingly barren at this time. But God says, I will absolutely fulfill my promise to you. Sarah will bear a son and you guys will name him Isaac. God reassures them that he is going to come through. But after they hear this, what does Abraham and Sarah say? How do they react to this assurance? This brings us to our second point. Our doubts. This is how Abraham and Sarah reacted. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Genesis 18, this is where Sarah reacts. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah, she was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The weight of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? You know, the first time God appeared with this promise, this couple was already old. When he comes again to reassure them of this promise, they are even older. Basically, a lot of time has passed. Uh, several years have passed. Sarah was old before. Now she's much, much older. She's very old. We're told that she's 90 years old now. And in um, 18 verses 11 to 12, which we just read, it says, Abraham and Sarah, they were advanced and old. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Right? Basically, her body wasn't functioning anymore for childbirth. The average age for menopause in women in the United States is 51. Sarah is 90. She's well past this age into the postmenopausal stages. Her reproductive organs are no longer functional. She says her body is worn out. She cannot have the pleasure of childbirth. You know, I don't blame Abraham and Sarah for this reaction. I guarantee you that if we we're told something impossible was going to happen to us, we would be doubtful. We would react the same. And so chapter 17, when God says, says it is through Sarah 
that this child will be born, this covenant fulfilled, Abraham, he falls on his face. He literally laughs out loud at the thought of the possibility of Sarah becoming pregnant. And in 18, Sarah laughs to herself as though scoffing at this promise that God had made. A 90-year-old woman giving birth? Physically impossible. And most of us aren't even going to live to be 90 years old nowadays. Risen, we have doubted God for things so much less than this. You know, we easily doubt God when we lose our jobs, uh, when we or um, a loved one is struggling with a sickness, when there is marital strife in our relationships. To us, these things are big, right? And rightfully so. These things are big, they're important, but we let these things shake our faith too easily. In college, I got my degree in uh, criminal justice here at Cal State Hayward. And for the next couple years after I graduated, I was <clears throat> really pursuing hardcore um, in, to become a law, a law enforcement officer. I applied to several departments in the Bay Area. And the one that I got that I wanted the most, I got pretty far in um, with this multi-step interview process and all the background checks. And near the end of the process, I received a letter in the mail. Uh, I remember that night very vividly. Right? I waited till dinner to open this letter. So I ate dinner, I opened the letter, I read it, and it says that this department was no longer going to move forward with me in the process. Right? I, was, I was devastated. I walked outside, I sat on my front doorsteps in the dark, and I cried. I questioned God, why would you do that to me? What a tease. All that time and energy in the last couple of years that I spent applying and this promising way forward with a good career that paid well that I could take care of my family with and I couldn't get in. I blamed God. I doubted my faith. I doubted that God cared for me. I doubted his existence. A similar life event happened to me again a few years later when a venture that I was pursuing failed um, it didn't go through. And again, I went through the same emotions and feelings of doubt of faith and God questioning his goodness to me, questioning his existence. Where are you in the moments that I need you most, God? Why do you promise to bless us and never forsake us and leave us? And yet our life feels so much like abandonment. Why do you do this to us, God? You see, every single one of us experiences doubt. Our circumstances may be unique to us, but man, we all doubt. We all laugh at God in our own ways when we hear His promises that He is for us and that He will not leave us. Theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon says this, <clears throat> I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. You know, I share this church, not to keep you guys okay and comfortable in your doubt, but simply to say that you are not alone. Everybody doubts, and this is part of the process of growing in faith. Though Abraham, he was considered a man of great faith, you know, as we read in the New Testament book of Hebrews, he wasn't always like this, right? It was a process for him to get there. 
It took him years of trials and struggles for him to eventually become this man of unwavering faith where eventually he's able to give up his son, his only son that he waited so long for. But that is next week's sermon passage that Rich is going to preach on. It's going to be a good one, so stay tuned for that. But for now in our passage, Abraham, he has his doubts about God's faithfulness to him. Church, we have our doubts about God's faithfulness to us. Theologian R. Kent Hughes, he says this, As a man of faith, Abraham was subject to a polishing process whereby God worked through the ups and downs of life, awful times and blessed times, to make him more and more godly and more usable to God. The abiding truth is that for every believer, the frictions of adversity are used to polish the soul. As King David said in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In this process of knocking off our rough edges and polishing our character through repeated trials and buffetings is as old as Father Abraham. <clears throat> Risen. This should be of great encouragement and hope to us, right? Because wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, God is not done with you. God is not done with Abraham here in our passage. God is not done with us in our present time. Nobody said that life was going to be easy. Nobody said that uh, faith and Christianity was going to be easy. But as we are moving forward and towards closer and closer towards eternity, God is refining our character. He's growing our hearts. He's deepening our faith and trust and love and joy in God. <clears throat> A few more quotes about what our doubts can do for us. This is from Tim Keller. A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after, a lo after long reflection. Frederick Buechner says, Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. <clears throat> J.C. Ryle says this, Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. You see, our doubts are meant to wake us up. They're meant to cause us to cry out to God for answers, to seek Him in His Word and in prayer. It should cause us to lean into our church community where you can explore your faith and ask all the questions that you need, where you can read the Bible and books together as a community. You can see how others live out their faith. And this is where you can be transformed by the gospel to grow in faith as godly men and women of God, to be anchored in Jesus Christ. At our last uh, Friday community group, we discussed what staying grounded in faith was. And each of us in the group, we shared where we stood on the scale of how assured you felt 
about your faith, you know, assuming that we all have doubts. And we were talking about ways that we can stay grounded and grow in faith. And man, I was just really encouraged by the answers that people gave. You know, we all agree that the feelings of a strong faith or a strong doubt, it ebbs and flows as you live life. But we, what keeps us grounded is three things, right? I came up with three things as we were talking. <clears throat> Number one, staying close to a community that you can trust to care for you. Number two, learning more about the Bible and who God is together as a community, bouncing ideas off of each other, discussing uh, theology and who Jesus is together. And number three, being more disciplined with our personal time with God in prayer and hearing Him uh, through the Bible. And Risen, I want you guys all to know that here at our church community, you are all welcome here with all your doubts to ask all the questions that you need, whether your faith is new, whether you have a strong faith, or even if you are um, not sure about your faith yet, you're exploring what faith is. You are welcome to belong here even before you believe if you are not quite convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. And we at Risen are so happy to walk with you through all of it. You know, Rich and I, we pray for Risen um, all the time. Every week we meet and we pray for us as a church as we grow. We pray that many people would be drawn to our community, not only because we have such a great uh, group of people uh, that love and support and care for each other. I know so many of you guys go out of your way to um, just really show your love to each other. And I really mean it when I, when I think that we have a really great community here. But we also want people to be drawn to the love of God, the grace and beauty of Jesus being shown clearly here in our church. We pray Risen will continue to be a safe place for people to explore faith, uh, where leaders will be developed and where they can grow, where disciples will be made here in our community. And so if you are here this morning and you have your doubts about faith and about God, and you're wanting to learn more, you are in good company. We are with you. We are here to discuss faith together, to learn together, and to walk with each other in life. We come to our last point, and I'm going to close with this short point. <clears throat> God's faithfulness. So, God assures, reassures that 90-year-old Sarah is going to bear a son, and then Sarah and Abraham, they laugh at this, right? Like we were just talking about. And then God says this uh, in chapter 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And then fast forward to a year later, and in Genesis 21, the promise of a son comes. Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, listen to this, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah, listen again, as he had promised, right? He's following through with what he said. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. <coughs> Excuse me. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. This is pretty amazing. You know, before Isaac was born, Abraham and Sarah, they laughed in doubt at the possibility of this birth, 
Now, after Isaac is born, Sarah's laughter is no longer of doubt, but it is of joy. Even Isaac's name means laughter. This family now is rejoicing about God's faithfulness to them. God did come through. You know, when Abraham asked God um, about fulfilling the covenant through Ishmael, God says, no, right? It is through the miracle of a supernatural birth of Isaac out of a barren 90-year-old Sarah that this promise was going to be fulfilled. As we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, this isn't just a story about Sarah's physical barrenness. This is really a story about our spiritual barrenness. Our doubts are symptoms of the sin and the fall of creation that has caused our spiritual barrenness. We are spiritually barren and we are in need of a supernatural spiritual birth. You see, the birth of Isaac, it represents God's faithfulness to his people and his triumph over sin and the spiritual barrenness of our souls. God turns our sorrows, our doubts, and our anxiety into joy and laughter and worship. This story isn't just a story about Isaac. It's about the one that Isaac points us to. After Isaac was born, many, many, many generations later, another supernatural birth would occur. The miraculous birth of Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. The divine Son of God come down from heaven to earth as a human baby. Jesus was descended from Abraham and Sarah and Isaac down through the line of kings. And now he is the King of kings and Lord of lords in physical flesh. Jesus has overcome the power of sin and death, our spiritual death, by dying on the cross as he bore our sins. And now in exchange, he gives us a new birth. He gives us a new life found only in Him. Jesus dies so that we could live. You know, when we doubt, the problem isn't uh, our external circumstances at all. The problem isn't that God has abandoned us. The problem is us. It is our hearts. We need a Savior and a Redeemer to bring life to our dead hearts. And we need the Holy Spirit to grow our hearts, to deepen our faith as we learn to trust in God. Church, what is it that you have doubts about? What is it um, in life that you worry and are anxious about? Jesus says, look to me. Put your faith and trust in me. Come to me with everything that you are. Lay down your burdens, your baggage, your doubts down at my feet, and I will show you what true assurance of faith is. I will show you what true life is. I will show you what true rest for your soul is. Your laughter of doubt will soon become laughter of joy. Let's pray, church. Our Heavenly Father, we are just amazed at the stories that you give us in the Bible. Story after story, as we dig and mine and study, as we hear from you, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, 
It's amazing that you point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our souls are barren, our spirit, our, our hearts are dead. We need a new birth. We need a new life. We need a miracle. And we thank you, Father, that you have given that to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins to give us this new life. We thank you for your faithfulness that you've made this covenant to Abraham and his offspring, which is us, the church, that you are faithful to us. This is so amazing. Down through millennia, you are still faithful to us now. We pray, Lord, that our doubts would vanish as we look to you and look to Jesus, our glory, our joy. Oh God, that you would make us a people that is hungry to see you, that is hungry to know you. We pray, Father, that we would soak in your words to us, the words of life, that we would be in prayer, communing with you, Father, because we know there's life everlasting through, the, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this. Be with our church at Risen. Grow us to be faithful men and women of you as you are faithful to us. Even when we stumble, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. In Christ's name, amen.